Welcome to Life Uninhibited. I'm your host, Kristen Messagy, Enneagram 6 Life Coach for Sixes. If you have been considering joining my group coaching community for Sixes, now is the time to get on the waitlist for March, and I will open the doors back up the first week of March, and we'll start on the 6th. In today's episode, we are talking about the passion of six, known as fear, angst, anxiety, any of those super fun emotions that we know very well. I hope you learn a lot and I hope you're inspired to really learn the skills of how to manage these emotions. Hello, sixes. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Today, we're going to talk about the passion of type six. This is a preview of everything we'll be doing in March in my zero to sixy community, community for sixes. So if this is interesting to you, you might want to get on the wait list and I'm going to reopen the community March 5th and we're going to get started of Four weeks of exercises to help us, I don't know what word I want to use, navigate, integrate, work with, get to know our passion. Every number has a passion. And just like the fixation is a mental habit, it's an automatic habit where we get stuck, where we default to, and we kind of hang out there and think it's super important. It becomes our mental lens through which we see the world. The passion is similar. It's emotional, however. So every number has an emotional vice. Now, vice makes it sound kind of, I mean, for some people, not for me, but for some people, vice sounds like a choice, you know, something we should just do differently. I don't mean it that way at all. In this case, the vice is, it's just the automatic emotion, the automatic emotional focus, the automatic emotional tone, and it absolutely captures us. And until we know how to work with it, we are really at the whim of the intensity of this vice this emotion that automatically happens and really so much of the personality stuff, so much of the thinking actually even stems from the personality constructing itself around this emotion. So for sixes, this is fear, sometimes referred to as angst or anxiety. I actually looked up kind of perused the internet a little bit, looking for different ways to describe this. And it's important to just spend a minute here. A lot of sixes do not resonate with fear, with being fearful, being filled with anxiety. They just don't recognize themselves in that, which we will definitely talk a little bit about. However, angst tends to land. They tend to hear themselves in the word angst. And I looked up the definition. I laughed when I read it, not because it's funny. (laughs) It's not funny. 
kind of the kind of laugh where it's like I was kind of laughing with myself uh, as I read it. So I was like, oh, yes, that is so familiar. So angst, good old Google, has angst defined as a feeling of deep anxiety or dread, typically an unfocused one about the human condition or the state of the world in general. And I thought, yeah, (laughs) that sounds right. An unfocused dread about the human condition or the state of the world in general. Yes, it it just reveals so much. I mean, okay, you can just hang out with this conceptually for a minute, right? If that is the dominant emotion of the type, it explains so much of the thinking. If you think about the way the fixation goes, the thinking habit, which is that people can't be trusted, I can't be trusted, nothing can be trusted, and then you connect it to this emotion, feeling of deep dread that is, you know, it's unfocused, it's kind of ever-present about the human condition or the state of the world in general. Like, yeah, no wonder. So many things start to make sense as we put these pieces together because the fixation and the passion absolutely play off of each other. And in any kind of growth work, you're looking at thoughts and feelings and how to think about them, how to manage them, how to impact them, all these things. So all these things start to come together. Another thing I found, I found this blog post from Nine Types Co. It's ninetypes.co. They have a great Instagram. I did not know they also had a blog. Makes sense. They say in this post about the vices and virtues of each type. So they say the vice of fear. I think we can also, you know, we could say the vice of angst or the vice of anxiety looks like subconscious need to protect the self from everything happening around them. I thought that was so well said. And I would also add not only everything happening around them, but happening in them, right? We don't realize how much we are actually creating inside of us that we are trying to protect ourselves from. They also said accelerating thoughts and conclusions as a result. This acceleration can feel like spinning in their minds. Yes, yes, nine types co, well said. Also a hesitancy to do anything permanent. Yes, agreed. (laughs) We don't often like to do things if we think there could be some negative impact down the line, or if we think we could get blamed if something happens later down the line. So as we all know, this can often look like not making certain decisions, not having certain conversations, et cetera, et cetera. We're, we're all familiar with what this looks like. So this, so this is it. This is so much at the core of type six is this internal angst. Now, if angst is not recognizable to you, One of the ways I believe it shows up for those of us that just sort of conceptually can't think of ourselves as anxious or don't see it, don't think angst is part of the puzzle, I think this also shows up as the suspicion and the cynicism. 
These are the more sturdy emotional ways that the same passion shows up. That might be outside of standard teaching. I don't know. I just absolutely believe it to be true. Having my own six system and working with sixes for so long. So I absolutely think it shows up in in these different poles. It can show up as sort of an obvious fear and obvious being scared of things. And there's a lot of sixiness that is that sounds like, well, I couldn't possibly do that. I'm scared. I couldn't possibly, you know, do that thing. It's scary. As if that's like a whole uh, concept in and of itself. If something is going to make me feel scared, then I'm not going to do it. So that that can be there, right? Or it makes me feel anxious, or I, I don't. So I so I avoid it. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go away from things that bring me close to this sensation of dread, angst, fear, whatever. P.S. That doesn't work. We all know this already. But the other way we sort of orient around this vice is by avoiding it in other ways which is to sort of not be aware of it. It can be a total blind spot. And instead, we can just have awareness of cynicism and suspicion and a guardedness that can feel sturdy. So this passion shows up emotionally in all of those different ways. And we can probably all think about times when we have experienced the clutch of fear, the dread very familiar with that. We can also probably access times when we have kind of gone against that fear with a different emotion. A lot of time, well, whatever, I'm not going to go down a whole rabbit hole of how this whole against fear thing is described. Just going to say it how I want to say it. I just gave myself a little pep talk there. Did you hear it? So the way that I view it often is that we're avoiding contacting this fear with a different emotional experience, sort of like a cover, like an armor. So cynicism, suspicion, uh, self-righteousness, these are often cover emotions. Anger is another one that can show up a lot. So they're just as automatic and they're just, it's all about the different ways that we are sort of dealing with this core emotion that keeps showing up. Sometimes we're going to have awareness of it. Sometimes we're not. And we're going to use an armor to keep us from having awareness of it. It can be a blind spot. So it's just something to get curious about. Also, these cover emotions or these armoring emotions, none of them are bad. It is very important that we do not demonize emotions. We're going to actually talk a little bit about this in a minute, but I really want to hang out here and say this. When, let's say even anger is acting as a cover emotion for fear, in a lot of people's minds, that then translates into the anger is bad and we should be feeling the underlying feeling. Another way this works is actually interesting is shame can work to cover Anger. Sometimes anger is the secondary emotion if there's a deep, deeply held belief that 
anger is not safe to experience. You get this a lot with core nines or people who have a nine gut fix. The anger will be nowhere in sight and often the cover emotion will be shame or something else. What's my point? My point is this all serves a purpose in our unconscious. We all developed these strategies as survival mechanisms. So if we have emotions that are coming up as armor and they sound kind of not great, like self-righteousness, anger, or cynicism or whatever, they aren't bad. We have judgments about them. But the truth is that they exist because we needed them, right? Our personality formed with certain emotions leading the way so that we could survive. Okay, I just had to do a little caveat there, a little in defense of the emotions that we don't tend to like when we see in ourselves. We're like, ooh, and we get judgy about ourselves. But every single human emotion serves a purpose. It happens automatically in our bodies. And how we believe about those emotions is really important, especially if we're trying to become more self-aware. We want to actually know What's going on inside us? That's what self-awareness is all about, by the way. Okay, so I want to pivot a little bit to talking about where these emotions are, what it's like to have feelings in our bodies, and then I'm going to talk about how we're going to be addressing all of this in zero to 60. Because at the end of the day, what I'm talking about today is that we can feel better and we can feel better faster than we think, particularly if we are able to learn to manage our emotions. It's such a key component of mental health to be able to have flexibility around our emotions. And so that's where we are going. So let's talk about anxiety and some of these other emotions and what they feel like. This is an invitation for you to just, as you're listening, ask yourself some questions about your physicality. When I've learned, I don't think I learned about emotion in detail until I was in coaching school. I really don't. I think in all the self-helpy stuff that I had taken in and all the things I had done, I don't think I'd ever been taught anything specific about emotions in terms of how they are experienced. And the teaching I got was life-changing for me. I'm going to share a couple of these points with you. These things just blew my mind and they don't work for all my clients and They're not easy to access for everyone. So if they don't resonate with you, that's totally fine. But I do want to share them with you here. So I learned that emotions are sensations in our bodies, right? The brain sends signals and certain sensations happen in our bodies. That is what emotions are. That's what all emotions are. 
And there's a lot more detailed teaching about emotion that is interesting, but this is very practical. You know, I love some practicality. So emotions are sensations in our bodies. And based on our nervous system level of flexibility, this is not anything I learned back then. This is my own addition. Based on our nervous system flexibility, this is going to determine how much we can tolerate the different intensities of the sensation of emotion. Some emotions have a lower intensity. We can just use sort of the anger is a good example. We can feel irritated. We can feel frustrated. We can feel angry. We can feel rage. These are different levels of intensity experienced in the body. They're all just sensations in our body. The intensity of them has a lot to do with how we act, right? Certain intensities get us to want to do certain things. They cause us to act or not act. I'm trying not to add too many layers right now, brain. Slow slow it down, brain. So sadness is another one, right? We can feel sort of down. We can feel sad. We can feel grievous. We can feel lots of different variations of sad. And same with uh, more what we would consider positive emotion, right? We can be amused or we can be ecstatic. We can be joyful. There's so many different levels to positive emotion. And I will tell you this, the level of intensity of sensation our bodies can tolerate goes in all the directions. It's not that we can just experience the high side of things and not experience the more intense low side of things. When I talk about expanding our capacity to feel, it's all the feelings. We don't just, which is also good because when people think about learning how to feel their feelings, often it's this fear around, I just have to feel more of the negative spectrum. And it's really not that. It's about increased capacity to experience sensation in the body and welcome it, be with it, actually let the whole thing be there without shutting it down in any number of ways. And a chronic angst or anxiety is one of these ways. Being sort of tight and buzzy and up in the brain is a way to protect us when we don't have a lot of capacity to feel a lot of sensation in the body. So when I learned that feelings were sensations in our body, and then I further learned that when I'm afraid of something, when I'm looking into the future and I'm worried about something, yes, my mind is saying I'm worried about this thing happening, right? There's a whole narrative around it. Also connected to that narrative is a feeling sensations in the body. 
So often what we are actually afraid of is the future experience of sensation in the body. And if we can sort of back this up and learn to tolerate all the various levels of intensity of sensation, that does a lot to just sort of deal with the fear of the future. Because when you have the confidence that you can experience sensation, intense sensation, when you know that you can feel any feeling, it does wonders for just sort of managing this fear of the future. So I really considered, well, I actually did this in retrospect because what I noticed was as I learned to tolerate sensation, as I learned to feel feelings over time, I became less anxious. So I started to think of learning to feel feelings as just kind of working anxiety out of a job. Became significantly, significantly less baseline anxious. All humans have anxiety. That's a normal, it's a normal part of humaning. Thinking about the future and predicting, you know, some bad things might happen. That is a normal, also just experiencing that sensation of dread. It's a perfectly normal human experience. It's how much of that is happening in our life? And do we have flexibility? Do we have access to other feeling states? Do we have confidence that we can experience lots of other sensations? That is what seems to give anxiety less work to do. Since I'm talking about anxiety, I feel the need to insert a disclaimer here and also maybe something helpful. Anytime anxiety comes up, the topic of medication comes up in people's minds. And I am not a therapist or a doctor, and I don't play one on the internet or on my podcast or in my coaching practice. However, what I can share with you is the way I personally view medication is sometimes when we don't have the capacity that we need to be able to access and practice tools, things that we know, things that we want to do, and there's just not the capacity to do it. My thought about medication is that it is a capacity increaser. So if that's something that you and your therapist and your doctor agree is a good choice for you, I've coached a lot of people on their thoughts around medication because they have judgment about it. They judge themselves for benefiting from or needing in something to really increase their capacity to do other work. And then of course, there are people who choose not to take medication who judge people who take medication and that's not helpful. So I've worked with so many people on just their different sets of thoughts around it. And what I can say is I have yet to see anyone who medication is the only thing that has helped them. It's a part of a whole complete puzzle of how am I building my internal capacity for intensity so that I'm able to access 
tools and do what I need to do to really expand my capacity for emotion so that I have a flexible emotional life, which is key for mental health. So managing anxiety, angst, dread has a lot to do with building internal capacity to experience emotion. This whole thing that I say over and over, you know, sixes get to develop the confidence, the true internal confidence and sense that they can meet the moments of their life, that that is what the, like that belief is sort of what covers so many things. It's that, it's I can feel whatever is coming for me. I know in my being that I can experience really difficult and challenging emotions. It doesn't mean I want to, and it doesn't mean they won't suck. This is the other thing. Like our brains just get so twisty with it. We're like, well, if I do all this work and I learn to feel feelings, then our brain says, I won't actually feel any feelings. <laughs> I'll somehow work myself into a being who is not going to be struck or confronted with really hard feelings. That's not it. It's that there's a confidence to experience the feelings. So learning to make space for intense body sensations is the how of how to feel our feelings. But how do we actually get there? How do we get from a system and a being that does not have capacity to be with intense feelings and hold? Another little sidebar here. Lots of sixes think they are feeling their feelings because they have a lot of emotion. They think in terms of emotion a lot. That does not mean the emotions are actually moving through the body and being held and contained by the person. So having a lot of feelings, talking about feelings a lot, being really demonstrative with certain feelings is not the same skill set that I'm talking about, which is letting sensation exist in our bodies with choice. And with, I mean, this is what presence is all about. People think presence is like a state of peace and calm. Sometimes maybe it is, but presence is about being with whatever is present. And sometimes what's present is a lot, a lot of churn, a lot of stuff going on. So there's a, there's a lot of learning in terms of what's intellectualizing emotion versus feeling emotion, what's emoting Emoting is a coping mechanism that sixes use, which is it's talking kind of at someone and we're trying to take the edge off our emotion. We don't always know we're doing that, which is its whole own thing. Anyway, sometimes we can have an idea about what feeling a feeling is and maybe we're doing that. Oftentimes we're doing something else entirely. So there's a little bit of a learning curve here. However, that's fine. <laughs> that's no problem. 
we can learn. And it's, and it's also like, it's imperfect. It's an imperfect art. Feeling feelings, being with emotion, especially when by nature, we are reactive to emotion, our own emotion and that of others, is it's an art. And I think one of the ways to frame it, well, okay, let's get into framing. So how do we actually do this? So when I teach Six is About Emotions, I take the first thing we do is we actually look at our thoughts about various emotions. What we think about emotion matters so much in our ability to be with, manage, feel that emotion. It's huge. So we go through an exercise and we really uncover our beliefs about emotion and then work to craft more accepting beliefs about emotion. And I did a quick little Google right before this podcast because I know the science is out there on this and I like to back up my stuff with neuroscience. And sure enough, a quick little Google, I found this article from Scientific America and I'm not going to read you the whole thing. I'm just going to read a couple paragraphs because it just drives this home. This is from November 21st, 2023 by Francine Russo. The title of the article, Beliefs About Emotions Influence How People Feel, Act, and Relate to Others. Yes, thinking about a range of emotion as friends rather than foes improves the quality of our life. And the first couple paragraphs of this article read as such, when I was a teenager, I declared that I did not like my grandma. My mother excoriated me, not just for saying such a thing, but for feeling it. That in her eyes made me a terrible person. She believed that. I tried not to. Our beliefs about emotions, whether we feel that they're good or bad, controllable or uncontrollable, or useful or harmful, profoundly affect our life and relationships. Science has only recently committed itself to examining this issue, but it is now doing so with a vengeance. In 2020, the journal Frontiers in Psychology devoted an entire issue to everyday beliefs about emotion. The article goes on. I will link to it. I did not know about that issue of that mag. Yeah. So this is just fact that how we conceptualize emotion and we didn't choose these concepts. We didn't choose these beliefs, but we get to how we conceptualize emotions and our relationship to emotion is huge. And it's work that we can do cognitively, which is our favorite kind. So yay, that's where we start. Then we get into, okay, now we've sort of worked with our beliefs around emotions. Now, how do we actually start to increase our capacity for intensity? And it should not be any surprise that we practice this in small ways first. We don't jump straight into, you know, this impossible argument that I keep having with my partner over and over. And every time we have it, I get so triggered. And no, we don't start there. We start in small, safe to fail ways, experiments that we design. Do you know that when you choose the context to try something hard, you're actually signaling to your brain that it's okay to do this. It's okay to stretch. It's when things happen outside of our control that all our triggers come up to protect us. 
So we want to do these things on purpose, even though we are walking toward discomfort that we don't want to. (laughs) And we don't think we can handle. But really, when we start at a level that is doable for us, we can make a lot of change. We just have to do it. And then there are also other ways to make it all easier by learning how to move emotion through. We don't just have to like sit in it and be with it. There are lots of tools to move emotion and actually help it uh, move through and sort of distract your brain while the emotion moves. There's lots and lots of tools. Okay, so that end little bit there is the work that we're going to be doing in zero to 60 in March. You can get on the wait list. I'm going to then open the group the first week of March for people to join. And uh, I think I said this last month that teaching about thinking is my favorite because that's what we're doing now. And I was just about to say, I think teaching about feelings is my favorite. They're both my favorite. It's all my favorite. But really, I believe so strongly that learning how to be with emotion rather than react to them is such incredibly powerful work for sixes. It puts us in the driver's seat of our lives. It gives us more choice. It is so beneficial to our relationships. It gives us choice in our relationships that when we don't have these skill sets, we don't have access to as much choice. We don't have as much capacity for other people's emotions. So all good things, no downside, honestly. I think that's true. I think that's true. No downside. My brain was just like, really, Kristen? Surely there's a downside. (laughs) No, I don't think so. Okay, that's it for today. There will be, I will link to this article and the wait list and all the regular links that are there. That's it. Okay, I will talk to you all soon. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get on the waitlist for March or read the article that I talked about in the episode, everything is available for you in the show notes. I am looking forward to being back with you all next week.